Thank you, Austin and Jim and Paul. Man, it's just great. Good, good stuff. Hey, as we begin this morning, I want to start by honoring and, and introducing some people to you. Um, Paxton and Hannah, could y'all come on up? All right, so our search team for our youth ministry, man, they are going, they are looking at candidates, their conversations have started, and this summer we have these two, gull- I mean, um, very um, willing people, You're, they're not really that gullible, but they have accepted the role of our interns for, for the summer. They're going to be working with our teens, and they are going to be going all summer long. And this is what's so exciting, is Hannah's mom told me she would do it for nothing, so, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> See, isn't that nice? I, I can't. I can't do it. She told me to say that to you. We're going to pay them. Don't worry. We're going to pay them. Um, but here, this is what I want to do. I wanted to just um, pray for you and, and you know, honor you both because what you're about to do is, is no easy task. Um, these kids are very lovable, aren't you? Okay. But sometimes it's tough, you know, but I want to encourage you this summer because you have got the opportunity to pour your lives into these kids, and God's going to bless you for that. He's going to bless our teens for that. He's going to bless our families because of the work that you do in the next few months. So thank you for sacrificing your, your time and your summer, and um, it's just, I'm, I'm excited to get to work with you both, but, but, but thank you. So let's, uh, let's, let me just pray for you both. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these two beautiful people. Thank you for Hannah and Paxton and their willingness to pour their lives into the souls of our, of our kids. Lord, I pray that you would bless them both um, spiritually, Lord, uh, emotionally. Uh, I pray that you would help their influence this summer to, to be lasting. Lord, that, that the memories made this summer will be will be things that, that they'll remember for years and years to come. I pray that the, that the gospel is preached through them, through their life, through those moments of, of quiet conversation and through those moments of yelling and screaming at camp and exciting moments that lay ahead. But I pray that the gospel is preached. Lord, bring more people to our youth because of the work that is done. And I pray that the family that you have chosen for our church, Lord, that you would prepare them and uh, prepare us to receive them. So thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, thank you guys, I appreciate it. Thanks for everything. Yeah, I was talking with her mom the other day, and uh, she said, oh, you know, you just need to tell her that she, I told her that she would do it for nothing, so I went ahead and brought that up. So I'll tell you, this is a good, it's going to be a good summer. I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for what's, what's, what's coming um, the summer is full of excitement and activity after activity, and I'm going to encourage you, if, if you have the will, I mean, if you are interested, man, join this group of volunteers that are helping our students. They, they could always use more help, and you'll learn a few things. I will tell you, I have learned a lot from our students in the short time that I've been here. Um, okay, so today we are wrapping up our series on Abba, Father. Um, and I wanted to begin with a question, just a simple question, and it's this. How do you see God? So whenever the image pops up in your mind of God, what image usually comes to mind? Okay, I've got a couple of images to see if any of these resonate with you. Oh, no, that's not it right there. 
Those are our interns. Okay, let me do the next one. Here we go. Ready? Well, that was perfect timing. I did not intend that. Here we go. What is, is any of these your, okay, have you, does that image come to mind right there? Okay. Okay, what about this one right here? Okay, how about that? That's a good one. Right to a lot of our people. That's the face of God in a lot of our, okay. Um, or we could go back to the 70s and 80s and just do a throwback, right? I don't know if I was ever thinking of what God looked like. I don't know if George Burns would have ever gotten in there, but he got the part, apparently. But uh, you know those images that come to your mind? For me growing up, my image of God was a little bit more impersonal. And it kind of came from some of these little tracks that I used to read, these little comic little tracks. And I would read these, and one image kept coming to my, to my mind, and it stuck. And it's this one. You ever seen that before? It is, it's weird because it's a faceless, impersonal image of God, almost like it was too big. You know, God on the throne dispensing judgment. That's kind of the, the image that I got growing up. But it's evolved. My image of God has evolved, and I hope that yours has too, as we've talked about this idea of Abba, our Father. Because God has revealed Himself through Scripture, all of Scripture. He's revealed Himself through the Old Testament, revealed Himself through the New Testament, and through both together we see a bigger picture of who God is. So, so quickly, as we begin our last, uh, I'm sorry, lesson in the series, let's pray and ask that God kind of speaks to us this morning. Maybe He reveals a few things to us that, that maybe we have not known before. Um, maybe that His image in our mind will become clearer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this group of people. We pray that you would uh, do just that, and that is to help our, our image of you to expand this morning. I pray that, that you would kind of help us to let go of those preconceptions that we have, and, and I pray that you would just continue to show us in a bigger way who you are through your word. Lord, hear us this morning, and I pray that you would speak, help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're really only scratching the surface on this topic. I, I could talk about this for, for a long time, but today we're going to wrap this up and we're going to turn to Nahum. So, so go back to Nahum. Um, it's two books after Jonah in the Old Testament. So go and turn to Nahum chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to move to the New Testament here in a little bit, Mark chapter 11, but we'll get there towards the end. Now, the typical question that I get, uh, or the response to this question of, of how do you see God, it's a bit confusing for some because a lot of times people see the Old Testament God and the New Testament God differently. They see the Old Testament God as a God of wrath, the New Testament God as a God of love, and as one theologian has put it, he's, this is how he says, he says, we've attributed an inaccurate caricature on both of these images because God has many facets to his character. And as we have read in Exodus 34, this is kind of the anchor verse for this entire series. Let's read this together because we know that God is a, you ready? Compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
Now I want you to keep this verse in our mind today as we move forward. Okay, so the, the God of wrath image, it, it, it finds a lot of its steam uh, through this momentum, through this tiny book of Nahum. We don't typically read Nahum a lot. So let's uh, look at that. We're going to look in the, in the first uh, chapter. Uh, and I hope today that we're going to challenge your thinking on this a little bit, maybe deepen our thinking in our image of God. So let's take some time to read from chapter 1 of Nahum. A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. Wicked plans. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. You can probably see why we don't read that a whole lot. It has a rather ominous, foreboding vision, doesn't it? So the question I've been asking myself as I'm preparing for this is, what happens when God gets angry? And when you think of God, do we picture some ever-ready presence ready to strike us down if we get out of line? I mean, is that what it takes to get God angry, is for us to just misstep, to cuss on the golf course, (laughs) to whatever it is, to to be angry at our... what, What is it? You know, growing up, I used to think that if if I didn't do just right that somehow maybe all that wrath would come pouring down on me. And you've heard people. They'll tell you why they don't come to church. Oh, I'm not going to come to church. The walls will cave in. Lightning will strike. I hope for you, though, that through this Exodus 34 route that you've begun to get a bigger sense of maybe who God is and has always been. I hope it's begun to shape your image of God. But can this description of a compassionate, loving God exist in the same space as a a wrathful God? Maybe God whose wrath is poured out like fire, as it says in chapter 1. And now, in our culture, some assume that wrath and love cannot exist together. But today, I will disagree. I think God has shown His wrath on several occasions cannot be disputed we see it in scripture however with this passage in mind the question we need to ask ourselves is is god a god of wrath 
I mean, this is important question if we are trying to rectify these two caricatures of God. Because in the Old Testament, there's verse after verse after verse that speaks against those who let wrath control them. Here's just a few right now. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Proverbs 29. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. Psalm 37. He cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. Amos 1.11. He's talking about Edom in Amos. Edom was awful. Continually angry. So my question is, if, if God is a God of wrath... How do we justify this contradiction? So for me, this brings up another question. Can someone be angry without being an angry person? Thank you, counselor. You have degrees in this. Immediately, uh uh-huh. Can God be wrathful without being a God of wrath? I'll tell you, for a while... I had a real problem with this image from the Old Testament. But I think what helped me get a deeper sense and help kind of figure some of this out for me was to figure out what it was that drew out the wrath of God. What was it that made God angry? Now think about it. Nahum is prophesying against Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. I don't know if you know a whole lot about Nineveh, but it was the capital. It was Sennacherib. He moved his whole capital to Nineveh. It was a beautiful, wonderful place. And uh, some people think that the Hanging Gardens, that wonder of the world that we think was in Babylon, some people have, have argued that it was actually in Nineveh. That's, that's the architectural magnificence level that was in Nineveh. It was beautiful, beautiful place, but it, it, it came at a cost. Assyria was one of the most brutal nations of all time. I'm talking of all time. Even still today, Assyria was one of the most brutal nations compared to, this, to today's standards. Their brutality makes ISIS look like nothing, makes Nazi Germany look like child's play. And I'm not going to go into the ways that Assyria tortured and, and, and killed their defeated enemies. But what I will say is that from the strongest to the weakest, from the most spiritual to the least spiritual person in Israel and Judah, there was sheer terror thinking about an Assyrian attack. And it's in Scripture. You can look at it. What happened with Assyria is they eventually conquered a lot of the known world. They eventually conquered Israel, the northern tribes, and it was brutal. In fact, they brutalized much of the known world. Now, we've only known ISIS for a few years now. They terrify us. They anger us. And we're growing to learn, I think the majority of the Muslim world probably is not that radical. They don't want that. But imagine an ISIS nation brutalizing and enslaving Europe. Imagine them terrorizing Christians. Imagine men, women, and children being brutalized. Would that anger us? What if the anger is directed at a nation who's brutalizing the children of God, the creation of God? Would that anger be wrong? 
I mean, Assyria has been around for hundreds of years at this point. Hundreds. America's been around how much? Maybe almost 300 here in a few decades. Hundreds of years of brutality. And God got angry. But it took him a while. Because these are the people that Jonah prophesied to. Can you blame Jonah for being so angry at these people and being angry that God wants to save this horrible, horrible nation? But we know God is what? Compassionate. And remember, the people of Nineveh repented. And God withheld His judgment for a time. But they didn't change. God had to make things right. And it was painful. I think it was painful for God. He knew where Assyria was headed. He knew what was coming for all of the nations that practice cruelty. And it pains him. Because he knows wrong is going to have to be made right. And this is the aspect of, of God that I think is crucial to our conversation and discussion. Because his anger is not reckless. It's not a desire for retaliation. His wrath is aroused because He is not indifferent to evil. His wrath is meant to end indifference, to produce repentance, to make things right, to end injustice. I read this quote. I'm going to read it to you. I don't think I have it on here. Let me read it to you. It says, man's injustice, man's sense of injustice is a poor analogy to God's sense of injustice. The exploitation of the poor, because remember, God loves the poor, the least of these. In Matthew 25, you'll see at the end of all things, that's kind of the bar. What did you do for the least of these? You can see God's heart is with the least of these. The exploitation of the poor and the least of these is to us a misdemeanor. But to God, it is a disaster. Our reaction is disapproval, but God's reaction is something no language can convey. But He gave these people chance after chance. He gave Israel 500 plus years, chance after chance. Assyria, chance after chance. Even Babylon and different places like that, He gave them chance after chance. Wrath is never God's first reaction. But He's going to make things right. But here's something we need to remember, that, that whenever God makes things right, whenever God brings judgment on the world, it's actually good news to those people who love Him. I know this is hard to understand. For, for me it was. God's judgment is good news. And if you're following Jesus, if you are in the light, you're, you're, don't worry about getting swept up in His wrath because we are the recipients of His judgment the judgment means making things right. And if you are one of these people who things have been made wrong and that life is difficult and people are exploiting and using and oppressing you, then judgment is good. Because as we just sang right before I got up, God is on our side. Let me give you an example. Turn to Mark chapter 11. Remember last week we talked about God as a God who weeps. Remember he wept over Jerusalem. Let me tell you, as soon as he gets into 
into um, the temple courts. This is what happens, Mark chapter 11. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, began driving out those who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. I've always had issues with this because I thought, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus is supposed to be a God of love, right? He's Jesus of love. And here he is, and, and, and it says, I think, in John uh, chapter 2, he fashioned a cord of whips, and he's whipping people. Thinking, how does this justify? God, Jesus is supposed to be nice and loving and kind. And he gets angry. I'm going to tell you what, okay? The temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. So there is a, um, if, if you know anything about the temple, there is a wall that surrounds the temple courts, okay? Um, oh, there it is. Sorry. Okay, the, there's a, a wall surrounding the temple, right? So if you were uh, from a different country, let's say it's, it's from here. We're from here. We're making the trek all the way over to Jerusalem. We are God-fearing Gentiles. We want to see and experience God in His home place, which is Jerusalem. Now, we're going to make this long trek over there, take us several months to get there. Some people, it could have taken as much as six to eight months. Imagine, Saving up your whole life to go to Jerusalem for six to eight months without any income. You're making your way just so you can see God. When you get there, you are confined to the outer courts because you, unless you're a Jew, you cannot pass that wall. In fact, there's a stone that had a sign that said very clearly, it said this, No outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary, and whoever is caught will only have himself to blame for the ensuing death. Boom. Uh, sometimes I've wondered maybe we should do that on Wednesdays and bring people up here and have that sign at the, at the halfway. You have to come forward. But it's funny, if you're there and you've been traveling six to eight months and you see this, well, we're confined to the outer courts. That's okay. We can still see the temple. Okay, I'm looking at my animals because I've got animals to sacrifice. Uh, they're not really pure anymore. They're kind of dirty. So I'm going to have to to buy one here so i go to the to the little person selling doves or cattle and he says oh we don't take american money you need to go get that exchanged uh okay so i go over here and i go to the changer and i said hey i've got i've got some money i need to go buy uh, some cattle he says oh it's going to cost you this much i said whoa but it says over there yeah exchange rate is different today Oh, okay, well, I can't do anything else. I've got to exchange my money, so I'm losing. So I t get it, and I exchange it. I go back over here, and he says, uh-oh, price just went up. Okay, all right, well, I, I don't have much to do, so I give it to him. Meanwhile, those people who are outside this wall, okay, anybody who's a Jew can go in unless you're sick, because outside sin mean, or outside sickness means inside sin. If you're sick, you're outside the wall. Uh, also, they needed a way to get all these animals in, so they actually had huge road-type entrances where you could drive carts. So there's cattle everywhere, there's carts going in and out. I've got Liam and live with me. I'm saying, hang on, don't get hurt, because there's carts going and watch where you step. Liam's going, Dad, what's the smell? I'm like, hey, I, I know, there's a lot of animals here, and there's somebody right in my ear coughing. And I look back, and it's a guy covered in something. And I'm trying to get my family away. And I try my best to go up to that priest who's taking my offering. And I said, here, take this. I mean, imagine this. I am stuck on the outside with sick 
people who are contagious. I am about to get run over. It is loud. It is smelly. It is noisy. The people who I have come, who I finally think, oh, I've got some, 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 um, something in common with you because we love the same God. They don't care about me. They're stealing my money. They're charging me too much for a cow. And here I am trying my best just to get a glimpse of God. And all I can see is the rabble and the horrible things around me. I find that I'm just like everybody else. I will never get on the inside. I've got to hold my mouth because I don't want to get sick. I got my family and, and am I experiencing God at all? Jesus comes in and imagine the sight he sees. Meanwhile, on the other side of the wall, it's like that little curtain in first class. You got people smiling, casually strolling, lots of space. Can you imagine how angry this made Jesus? Knowing that his people, a few thousand years earlier, were outsiders too. These people were now the exclusive were now oppressing the poor. They were now out, casting out all these people because they weren't good enough. Can you imagine the anger that welled up in Jesus because all these people were being oppressed by His children? I can just imagine this one moment he's coming in thinking this is going to be the end. I know where I'm going and I'm going to sacrifice for these people and they're going to know God as God because of my sacrifice. And he sees what his children are doing and it makes him angry. Because he was defending us. The outsider, the poor, the sick, the widow. Whenever I think of this, I think of this moment when Jesus is on the cross. I'm so glad Austin said that. Because here's a man who has absolutely nothing to offer. And Jesus gives him the world. Why? Because he asked. Somebody who the religious people had cast out got the keys to the kingdom because he asked I think for these people their mistreatment of the poor when they exploited those who had nothing the least of these that was the moment Jesus started defending showed the world how much he would defend us because we see Jesus in that temple court is the same as God in the Old Testament, defending the poor, making things right. And Jesus ultimately would go on to sacrifice his life for us because he's not indifferent to evil. When he sees evils happening, he's not indifferent to it. So my encouragement to us this week is to one, know that God is on our side. Two, know what God cares about. 
and care about that. Think about how we treat the poor, how we treat the least that are among us, how we treat those people who have absolutely nothing to offer us. And three, don't be indifferent to evil. Don't close your eyes. Thessalonians chapter 5, I was reminded this morning that we were not appointed for God's wrath. As followers of Jesus, we were not appointed for His wrath. We were appointed for salvation through Jesus Christ. Judgment is a good thing for those who love and follow God because He is going to make things right. Be comforted today that know that, that God is steadfast in His love, in His chesed, He is a protector. God is a God who weeps for us, and He is going to make things right. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 15, he closes this one chapter with good news. He says this, Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah. Fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. On the cross, Jesus defeated death once and for all. Once and for all. And in those moments when God judges the world, He will bring a death to all indifference and evil, and He will make things right. God is on our side. I'm here if you need to, to pray. Our elders are here. Let's stand together and let's sing. Be comfort.